We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the DNVR Gaming Podcast, brought to you by WGT Golf. Remember to download it totally for free today at dnvrgolf.com. I'm your host, Drew Priestman. Joining me for this one is AJ Haithley, fresh off, well, I shouldn't say off, fresh on an abs hot streak, feeling good. The DNVR bar was lit up yesterday for that and the buffs. You're looking smooth. I'm a big fan of smooth AJ. So I mean, things things are just feeling good. Yeah, it was uh, yesterday was a yesterday was a long day, but it was a fun day. You know, watching uh, watching the abs just absolutely embarrassed the wild like that for the second straight game. I mean, that was a uh, it was such a message sent to Minnesota. Like, <laughs> go back and try again next year. It's quite enough of that, thank you very much. Yeah. So, as I've been enjoying all of those things and and the winning in Colorado, and hey, the Rockies haven't looked bad in spring training, been hanging out and and following all of that. I also found... The is legit. Yeah, I know. And I was telling people, actually, about the time that I told you I wasn't so sure about him, that he was one of the prospects. I was like, "Mm, look at him go. What do I know? Yeah, Um, that dude can make contact. Um, I, I'm enjoying the the Ryan Blade Colton Welker show. Um, it is Colton Welker was we knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah, that that was to be expected. One of the things I did manage to get in in the last several days, though, I, I found a, a free four hours of time. That's <laughs> pretty <be> nice. <laughs> the Zack Snyder. Oh, I'm not in season, man. <laughs> you 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 know the game. It's, uh, yeah, so uh, true. And, and so I was able to actually watch it all in one sitting, which I may not recommend, depending on your uh, preferences in, in movie watching. Maybe do it in two or three sittings. I did like that they broke it up into parts, which is really nice. Um, but obviously, now we're, we're going to talk mostly about video games because that's what this podcast is about today. But I, I thought it was really interesting, AJ, because as somebody who doesn't like to dig too much into the behind the scenes stuff... Until, at the very least, until after I've seen a movie. Because I don't like it to influence, you know, or, or played a video game or watched a TV show or read a comic book, whatever. Uh, I just don't like all that behind-the-scenes stuff to influence how I feel about what's ultimately presented to me. But in watching the Snyder Cut, I've never been more aware watching a different vision unfold than I was the first time I watched the Joss Whedon cut of this movie in theaters. And it just got me to thinking about how amazing it is, how two different two people's kind of visions of what you might think were the same story or the same basic thing would be. And, you know, I just sat there the whole time in the Snyder cut going, wow, yep, this is a completely different movie. And I can see why the studio thought we've got cut this way down. Uh, but I can also see why this ultimately had to happen because, you know, I, I think it's just a reminder that when we get games and, and movies and TV shows, a lot of times we think of them as like one solid voice that everyone agrees upon and they give to us. And we forget that sometimes what we end up with is Frankenstein's monster 
of a mm. thing that it's halfway between what the director wanted and what the studio wanted and what the writer wanted and uh, for all of it. Yeah. That like that push yeah. and pull that happens in those movies, man, it, I, I wonder like how many movies have been ruined because of that nonsense, you know, like it's so, it's so interesting because how many times do you hear about these behind the scenes stories after things are finished where they come out and they're like, oh, the studio did that. How often has the studio ever been right? Right. You know, like right. the people, like you entrusted these people to make the movie. Like, they're your talent. It would be like, <clears throat> it would be akin to, you know, Brandon Spano coming in and rewriting all of our articles. Right. After right. they've been done. Right, and then telling us no, these need the, these are all the changes that you need to make to to every one of your pieces, right. and it's like, bro, like you hired us to do these jobs. Do you want us to do them or not, or do you want to do all of them? Right, and the because it just feels like the studio just is always the bad guy to me. I'm right. always just like the studio has never been credited with helping make a positive change. Right, and as we were kind of talking about before we came on, it's so rare that we get to see this. In fact, this really is kind of a, a, a one of a kind situation where they get to go back and, and just yeah. make exactly what they wanted. And then we, the audience get to see, therefore, if you compare the two things, you can basically see, you know, Oh, the studio didn't think this scene was necessary because it was slow and didn't have any action and whatever. But then, it gave you all the character development, all the things that you needed. So yeah. that when you go and watch the original justice league, you're like the, the biggest one I'll say, and, and I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Cause it's, it, it's pretty new out there, but in the original movie, the villain has no motivations. He has no clear. He's just big, evil, bad guy who fell out the sky. Who's going to kill everything. And there is significant time devoted to explaining the motivations that he has an arc. He has people he's talking to back on the home world and, and whole interaction with dark side and all of these things. And it's just like, I could see why the studio would think none of this is necessary to telling the story of our heroes coming together and winning the day. It just yeah. made it a thousand times better of a movie. <laughs> so you're just like, God, like you said, like, all they did was cut out all the most interesting parts because they wanted the movie to be over. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll get to someday. I'll get to watch it. Uh, yeah. the ads have been playing every other day for a month already. <laughs> and I checked the calendar last night. We have seven more weeks to go. So Intense. we'll see in, if I can find some free time in there. Yeah. Uh, but, like I said, we, we are here to talk. That's all we'll, we'll do specifically on, on the Snyder Cut, especially because it is so new. And I, I do want to give everybody a chance to watch it if you want to. Yeah, uh, but it's just a jumping off point. We're not here to actually talk about it itself. Right. It, it's that philosophically speaking, it, it's just such an interesting concept that you would go back and fix the mistakes and come away with what is almost universally considered to be a much much better product. And so we thought we would take that principle and apply it to some video games over the years that could could use a little glow up, could could stand to get this kind of treatment that if only, you know, the studio would just throw a bunch of cash at them and then let them do whatever they want and not as you said, you know, micromanage the whole thing. So Yeah. Uh, I've got a few here on a list that I'm just going to throw at you, AJ, and get your reactions to some of these. And yes, I'm old. I do think one of the the things about this is some of the older games that we people have never gone back to. So that was just naturally going to happen. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll throw one at you. Beyond Good and Evil. You recall this game. That's an old uh, school game, man. That, that's an old school game. Uh, uh, we're like taking pictures and there's a lot of politics and there's a, a kind of a, a weird futuristic dystopian landscape, but it, it's one of those ones that I think 
there was a game whose ambitions were much bigger than like the gaming industry would even allow for it to be at the time. And so I'd love to see just a full blown interpretation of beyond good and evil. What would you want for it? That's like, a really interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I think you almost have to go open world with something like that these days, I think. And that's one of the points I think it was, it had ambitions to be an open world game before the technology would really make that possible. Yeah. Um, it, it is kind of a big, it's all, it almost plays like a single player MMO, right? You're in this gigantic world and there's so many things to go do and, and so mm-hmm. many plots to uncover. And yeah, it was just pre things like mass effect and Witcher and, and, and those kinds of stuff that would really allow you to do that as a single player experience. So I'd, I'd like to see it kind of done in that way. Okay. Um, I'm good with that. I'm curious. I'm curious how many of these uh, the the old franchises that we can dig into, where we want to see modernized versions of them, end up with us just being like, we'll just make it open world. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not even the biggest things, fan of. Right. Uh, I I hate that crutch in gaming. I do. Where it's just like, oh, we'll just yeah. make it open world. Think of all the possibilities. Well, okay, now you've made an open world. Now you got to make a good game out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll go completely the other direction with this next one then. And and we had talked about this. I know you're not as familiar with it, but there was a fighting game I played on the PlayStation 1 back in the day called Bushido Blade. Uh, Those of you out there, you'll know. Uh, And it's it was a unique idea that I haven't seen since. You know, almost every fighting game that you play, there's a the health bar at the top. Right. And you can do all kinds of damage. It gets it, it gets wild, man. And injustice. Like you're, you're like throwing people through trains and stuff. And, you know, it, it just does however much damage to the bar that it does. And then you can finish them off with like a punch to the kneecap. Right. Because they've only got that much health. Left. Uh, but it's a sort of a conceit to fighting games that we've all accepted. But Bushido Blade, it tried to play like a realistic fighter. The basic idea was uh, you both got swords. If you get stabbed in the head once. Or in the heart, once, you're dead. If you get stabbed in the arm, you can't use that arm anymore. The leg or whatever, and that's and the fights would sort of play out. It was a long kind of standoff until somebody landed the one critical blow. I'm, I'm picturing some, like, Monty Python nonsense here. <laughs> what? Yeah, where he, yeah <laughs> the guy doesn't have any arms anymore, but he yeah. hasn't been critically wounded yet. <laughs> you're just like, but a scratch. You're dead. <laughs> No, I so I've actually struggled with some of these realistic like combat games because um, I don't know if you ever played it, but like Arma was uh, like the realistic FPS where uh, they tried to as closely as they could recreate proper shooting mechanics. And so when you were shooting over distance, you had to configure, you needed to factor in wind and you know. All, all of the st- all the stuff that you have to factor in, you know. Right. Um, clearly, me, an expert marksman here, very comfortable <laughs> shooting firearms. Um, but it was it, it like I tried playing through it, and I was just like, "This isn't fun." You know, like as much as I don't like like the Call of Duty or the Battlefield, like, all right, give me my loadout and send me in, Chief, and I'm gonna run into a huge battlefield full of dudes and I'm just going to and then as soon as I die, I'm going to come back and I'm just going to go do it again. Yeah. yeah. This is all I'm going to do. You know, I just, uh, as much as that like wore on me over the years, the, the realistic one was also like, wow, this is incredibly boring. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's been so long since I've played it. I'd have to, you know, I don't know by my modern standards if Bushido Blade would still be fun. I just remember for whatever reason that one <clears throat> seemed to pull off the mechanics really well, um, or at least as well as it could at the time. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see if someone could do a decent job of it, but I'm with you. It's a, that's a tightrope to walk. Um. All right, I've got a, a sort of category of older shooters, some of them dinosaur-themed here, but because apparently, apparently that's not a thing we do anymore. Dino Crisis and Turok. 
I guess, I guess uh, we're over the dinosaurs. Uh, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're too busy, uh, yeah. you know. Open we're, world. We're, we're too busy shooting each other just to decide yeah. to shoot dinosaurs anymore. I guess so. Uh, and Time Splitters was another one that I, I feel like could use a modern glow up. Time, I feel like, I always thought Time Splitters would be like a cool TV series. Yeah. Just because the, the premise of the games was neat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I'm with you. Turok 2 on the N64 yeah. was was my jam. Yeah, that was one of the only video games I ever got to sit down and play with my brother. Well, not okay, so we were talking about this before. Was that the first dual stick shooter? Because you said time, it was Time Splitters is, was the first time I had ever uh played the the dual stick. That's okay. that was the first one because I remember when I went over to a friend who had it, um, because we, each of our houses had a different console and he was the one with the PlayStation and he was the one who had time splitters and it was, we sat down to play it and I was like, what is this? Thinking it yeah. was going to be like, thinking it was going to be, you know, cause we were all very accustomed to GoldenEye and Perfect Dark back then where it was the single stick. Right. You know, where it was like, oh, you, this is how you look around. This is how you move. Right. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, you have split these into two different things. Yeah. And, and remember for Turok, you had to use the C stick, the C buttons. Yeah. Remember those? The, exactly. Because the they had the, they had the four the little camera. C buttons. And yeah. it was just like, first of all. God was that controller a disaster. Oh, in hindsight. <laughs> I, I I loved it because I thought it was goofy and unique and weird, but it was from a design perspective, like a third of it was entirely useless yeah. with the D-pad. <laughs> but what that there? It is what it is. Um but no, I Time Splitters, I think, was the first time I had ever I had ever played with the, the two sticks and yeah, as as chat says. My brain couldn't handle it at first. It was like, wait, what? Okay, what do you mean? Yeah. And, then, and then you just learn. And yeah. it's funny now because if you try and like sit somebody down who doesn't play FPS and they've got to try and learn the two sticks and you're just like, yeah, it's a thing that you just learn over time, okay? Like, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I finally got Katie used to using the, the right stick to control the camera. She's gotten that. That's become an intuitive thing for her, her gamer lifestyle now. The right stick controls the camera. And then we started playing some free PS5 arcade crash em up car games. And now all of a sudden the right stick doesn't control the camera. It like makes your car jolt into people. So every time she's trying to move, she goes off. It's like finally got an intuitive gamer thing. And then we go to a game that no longer uses that system. It's like, oh, come on. Um, I do remember so, SOCOM actually. My friends, yeah. um, my friends and I played a little bit of it. It was, did okay. you do the, like the full on with the headsets and stuff. Cause I remember that being like a big selling point. Like one of the first yeah. games where you could actually coordinate. We were, we were, we were pretty big into that. That's, that's cool. I, I, I think I got my first dual stick experience with halo, like a lot of people, but yeah, split it was cool. Cause when halo came around, I knew how to do it because of time splitters. I was like, yes, there we go. Practice him, baby. Love it. Um, We've talked about Star Wars enough on the show, but KOTOR needs a shout-out here. There's no way not to mention Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, KOTOR, just, did, I mean, KOTOR yeah. set the stage for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, the franchise was great, dude. Yeah. And it's just... Arguably it's, better than any of the movies. Right. It's great Star Wars storytelling that doesn't have to be in any way tied to any of the, the movies that you know, because thousands of years before all that so just it, i'm actually excited to, to find that out i didn't know that they were making resident uh a resident evil movie based on the first two games really cool. good cool those yeah. games were those I, I i wasn't really like the biggest fan of like the survival horror thing but they're fun games same yeah I, mean, I like problem solving one. that isn't just yeah. reload <laughs> yeah right right um, 
In a similar vein to that, since we're on the macabre at the moment, uh, Legacy of Cain was an old lore-heavy vampire demon game that uh, there's a couple of them, and they're kind of hidden gems in, in the history of gaming that I think most people who've played them know they're really good, but they've just been kind of lost to, to time. And so... Uh, what is it? What is it that you want to modernize about it? Like, why is this one the one that you picked for a glow up? I think one of the big things is uh, so. There's one modern vampire game that I haven't really gotten my hands on at all that looks interesting, but didn't review especially well. And so, in our limited time to play games, as we've talked about here, you know, you got to prioritize. And I've always thought the idea of playing as a vampire. Um, it made for a really good premise for a video game. And it's surprising that there aren't a ton of, of particularly good ones. There's plenty of great games where you kill vampires. We can talk about those in a minute, but um, you know, flying around and being stealthy and sucking people's blood and finding ways to stay alive and dealing with the moral consequences of, of what that is and choosing, you know, can you manage to only drink the blood of, of the, bad people or whatever. It just, it comes with an interesting moral dilemma for playing a game that I think is, um, you know, and then on top of it, those legacy of Kane games have a ton of lore that I find fascinating that, uh, again, you know, it would be interesting, yeah. um, you know, getting into the morality of it where you could have kind of like a, you know, the mass effect renegade paragon system. Yeah. Cause if you yeah. got into that, where like you, you actively try and play the game where you, try to only go after bad people and uh, the people have like a score, you know, that you find out after you kill them, you know, you can only do so much research or whatever. And like part of the game is like you like stalking these people and trying to figure out, can I feed on them or not? Right. (laughs) And like playing the game in that way and then having consequences for the decisions that you make. You know, if you're trying to be, if you're trying to only go after bad people and you get a good one, you know, there's got to be a consequence there. It can't just be like, well, I feel bad about it. (laughs) Right. Totally. Um, So So that could be like, that could be kind of an actually a cool premise for a game where you're, you're, you have like a morality based system where. You know, if you're evil, you know, and a lot of games have started to do this, where if you if you roll into like a, a town and you kill all the townspeople, you get a reputation. Right. So the next town that you roll into, they they attack you because they're like, right. no, 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 no. We right. know what happened I, to the last place that you smoked. No, no, no. Don't come in here with that. So I, I just think, recently I think, discovered that there's a, a vampire like strategy game where you build up your army and you kind of go around and, and conquer the countryside or whatever and i was like i like that as an idea but again having it be more individualistic and having you sort of build up your reputation like you were just saying to the point yeah where that i like people the idea know of you 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 sweep into playing, the town and people are like oh no <laughs> playing vampire rts doesn't sound great yeah no 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 it doesn't uh like but the idea of building a vampire army sounds like fun. So, But also, killing vampire armies sounds like fun. Now, this is the one exception. I try to stay away from too many things where they're still making modern versions of it and people still love them or whatever. But Castlevania was my one exception here because it's been since, like, 1992 that we've gotten just a Trevor or Simon Belmont versus Dracula Castlevania game and i think it's time aj i think we need that full especially now that it's been like fleshed out in the tv series like you can take so many of those elements and basically combine what they've done with the show to add all of this extra lore to it and bring these characters together but give us yeah. modern gameplay and dungeon design and all that like i don't know well, why this the, i don't know how much you've played of like the handheld castlevanias but i loved them yeah, but you can circle of the moon. You can really make the argument though that they didn't really evolve very far, because right. you know those original Castlevania games were basic platformers, right? And then you go to the handheld games, and while there's a lot of like, there are a lot of elements that got thrown into like the 
the rogue light world that we live in now. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the dungeon design and the hopping with the mini maps and the different powers scattered throughout stuff right. like it really set the tone for what a lot of games do now. So Castlevania has consistently been innovating, but they haven't really broken out of that side scroller type of mode for right. the most part. Like you remember, of course, I know you remember um, when Metroid Prime came out on the GameCube. And that was Metroid being like, oh, that was their big glow up, right? Okay, we've been this one thing. We nailed this. Now we're going to do this. And they nailed that. Uh, and Castlevania yeah. just never – They had, there are a couple of 3D ones. I actually really enjoy the Lords of Shadow. Uh, there's two of them. They're solid. But they, like, exist in their own side multiverse. They actually – well, I guess that's kind of a spoiler, so I won't say that. But it's – uh, I was gonna say that it's not it's not the story of the Belmonts or anything. It's close, but it's it's I think they're good games, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, it's more of a reboot. Um, so yeah, I, I I'd like to see just taking that original three game trilogy from from the NES with Trevor and Simon Belmont. And I mean, just the or, just just roll through the original, but turn it into like an FPS. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe maybe even like a third person action game if you want yeah. a little different look on it. But right. you know, the idea of like going through and exploring the castle, and you know, you're fighting. I mean, you're fighting all these like legendary enemies, right? I just think that it would be, I don't know, it could be a different take on Castlevania that you know, with with a patience and a proper budget and a studio that knows what it's doing. I don't know. I I would like the reimagining of it like that. Yeah. Yeah, you I know? think that's... So in the same way that I would love to play a Mario game from a first-person perspective just once, you know, where it's like... Interesting, yeah. Like, like let me play the original Mario Brothers, but, like, running through, wow. like, straight right? through. Imagine. And, and almost make it amazing. almost make it Sonic like. That, that's a See cool idea. So what we need is more Mario games, but but still though, I would play the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, because the one and Mario, you know, Mario has such a distinct difference between its two D games and its three D games. I just yeah. think it would be fun to, to like, okay, you blend them. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, all right, another series that people often forget is a series but uh that is very near and dear to both of our hearts that i really do think needs a, a modern glow up in a big way are the chrono games now chrono trigger yeah. is like perfect how it is and it you know you it, i understand the temptation to say just leave it alone just play chrono trigger <laughs> you know it, it's fine i do think it's it it's so like obvious how it would look and feel with the fact that the artist for those games is the artist for Dragon Ball Z and all this other stuff that they've done um, sort of full length. There's already like 35 minutes of fully animated Dragon yeah. Ball Z style storytelling for Chrono Trigger. So it's like, just do that for the whole game with some modern, you know, battle mechanics and whatever else. But the other thing for me that's big about this, and then I'll get your take on the whole thing, because I know you're a big trigger guy, not as big into Cross. I really loved Chrono Cross. And Radical Dreamers is, is a part of this that oftentimes gets totally forgotten about, because it was this, like, side story game that was released only in Japan that does a really good job of explaining the connection between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, which is something that feels very left out if you've only played those two games. Uh, so I think kind of presenting them all in one big blown out package with with a modern glow up would just they're just such good concepts and it's been long enough that they would feel totally fresh. How I mean, how would you? Well, again, my question would be, what would you do with it? Because you see, today so many RPGs are going back to turn based RPGs. You know mm -hmm. where. You know, you had like the Rise of the Tales series where the live action combat was a very different feel. You know, like you would go into battle, but combat was fast paced and it was it was happening live and 
if you didn't do anything, like you, you know, you couldn't treat it like a pause screen. You had to actually do stuff. Right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and now you see a lot of a lot of games are going back into the old school turn based stuff. You know, you have would, you yeah. have a lot of games that are going back to that style because people like me buy them up like crazy and are like, yeah. "Yes, this is what I want. This is what I like to do." Yeah. I would leave it that way. And you know, there are some things like I was a big fan of them changing Final Fantasy VII the way they did. By the way, an example of something that has gotten this type of glow up, right? Um, and the battle mechanics are totally different. They went completely away from turn-based, old-school JRPG stuff. But I, I love the battle system in Final Fantasy VII Remake. But I would not want them to do that with Chrono Trigger. I would, ma- I would do like Dragon Quest XI, or I guess any Dragon Quest or whatever, and even keep a lot of the how fun is that game? Fun to I right, uh, and same artist by the way. So it gives you an example of what a 3D Chrono Trigger would look like and feel like uh, and, and you could do it i think so you don't have to have a, the big open world you can still still have a linear style storytelling that they do in dragon quest games and even keep a lot of the mechanics of the original chrono trigger battle system like that's one of those things that's it's still good and you can just develop it a little bit further um so yeah i i just think all of those things and and then there there are some things about chrono cross again i love that game but you could you could fix a little bit and and make it that much better, and also present in that way. So are you also are you talking about just jamming them all into like one epic story? I would probably release it as like two games still, or or you know in a set because you download everything now. I, I don't think you could put it all into one big epic game. I still if think you want to experience Chrono Trigger as its own thing. If you're doing that, you know what about? I mean, what about a reimagining of? Final Fantasy VI or Earthbound. Yeah, and and that's the other thing is pretty much Secret any of the mana. Final Fantasy games, any old two D RPG, um, Illusion of Gaia, Breath of Fire. Actually, I think Breath of Ooh, Fire. Breath of Fire. Uh, this is a game where you turn into a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Breath of Fire, I think, would be phenomenal as a glow up. That series lasted into the PlayStation, and then just fell away and i have no idea you mentioned secret of mana that's another one um romance secret of mana was notable because you and your friends can play together yeah yeah which technically you can do in final fantasy 6 i don't know if you knew that but um there's a way to go into the menu screen if you hook up a second at least you could on the super nintendo and plug in so that your little brother can control one or two of it because i was the little brother gotta see um, the uh znes emulator can let me do that right um, but yeah, obviously Final Fantasy VI needs a glow up, in, and and that one I would do re- seven remake style. I would I would update all the battle mechanics. I would go full yeah. in. I'd get wild with it. But Chrono Trigger, because it's cartoony in nature, and I think you can present it as an anime style game. You can still get away with that old school game design, but a visual glow up, and then just make all of the music or fully orchestral. And then you get to recreate two of the greatest soundtracks ever written in any medium ever. Yeah, uh, true. Those those games have ridiculously good music. So, okay, yeah. a few others we can get into. I've mentioned Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. We've talked we've talked about this on like several pods. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure again that it got hundred percent. It's Let's one of my favorites. Bring it back. Just bring it back. Um, <clears throat> Dark Cloud, uh, this, this is a series that only had a couple of games and wasn't super popular, but again, was a combination of, of two game styles, basically JRPG. It was like Dragon Quest meets SimCity, uh, and I don't know why that's not more of a thing. Like It, it was really cool just to be able to go out and uh, you know, do all your adventuring, and then when you did, whatever you got from killing monsters or finding stuff out in the world, you would bring back to your village, and that would allow you to build more buildings and put them wherever you want. And that gives you extra upgrades and you're creating your, your city and setting it up. And I was like, this is a really cool comp. Why aren't there more city builders slash? Yeah. I tell you what though, I would be, I will be really pissed off when a hurricane rolls through and smashes my city. Yeah. I've spent 45 hours building that damn thing. And I've, you know, you got to go out and you got to, you got to do all the work to gather all the stuff. Right. 
and natural disaster rolls in, just like in Sim City. And right. this is why I don't play. This is why I don't play City Builders. Is because the best laid plans blow up in your face, and I just <laughs> not not a sing bad. Do you get into any of that? Do you do like uh, have you done um, like ro- the roller coaster ones or theme parks or any of that stuff? Because nope, that's that moment. All Z. She loves yeah. those games. Has I can't do it. Dude. Played the Jurassic Park ones because that I haven't played one in a while, and those yep. keeping a dinosaur. <laughs> they were like, I'm interested. Yep, she's all about it, dude. She loves those types of those those builders, the tycoon games. Yeah, she loves all of those. And I'm just awesome. I can't I can't handle it, man. Because as soon as something goes wrong, I'm like, screw this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I played City Skylines, and that game was infuriating. Yeah. You know what I did like, though? Tropico. Tropico's... Because I got to be a dictator, and I <laughs> I liked that power. It was fun to, like, be the bad guy, like the benevolent dictator where everybody hated me, and I was like, yeah. 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 I messed around. That was, like, a free game one month on the PlayStation Store, and I picked it up not really knowing what it was, and ended up having a, at least two weeks of just nonstop yeah. fun with it before I was like, okay, yeah. I think I'm... I've gotten what I need to out of this experience, but interesting challenges fun. like the, yeah. the hey, okay, now you're in this environment and you're you'll you're in this one and no Tropico, if you haven't played it but you like games like that, Tropico is really interesting. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. Uh, I think I did five. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I have I have four, five, and I think there was a six. Another game that's been mentioned on this podcast before. But still, zombies ate my neighbors. Just a great one-off. Yeah, it's like, you know. Like, and and why you want to talk about a game that is hard? Yeah, that, that was built for those old school gamers. Yeah, go go and go and play that game and see. Like fire it up right now, because if you yeah. don't know what you're doing, that game doesn't teach you anything. No, it is it is total trial and error. So some updating of it could be nice because it would be nice for them to actually tell you what right. the hell is going on. What the hell is going on? Um, I had Psychonauts written down until I remembered that they just did some sort of sequel or update or something to it. Now, they had to yep. crowdfund that thing. So, again, I think it'd be nice to see a full blockbuster AAA Psychonauts. But yep. I have it. Yeah. It's good. I haven't played the new. It's good. Yeah, Psychonauts rules. It's just worth mentioning then. Um, one of those things where uh, it's one of those games where not everybody has heard of it, but the people who have and who have played it all loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Universally loved by those who played it. Similar, by the way, actually, that's a great segue into Suikoden or Sukoden. I've never known 100% how to pronounce the name of that series. Um, I played the first couple of them. These games are actually so rare. This is one of those things that you did when you were uh, selling games in college, when you were desperate for money that I really wish I hadn't done. Cause I'd sold my physical PlayStation one copies of Sukadin one and two. And each of those are worth like $150 on their own now. Um, but these were again, sort of, I guess I liked these combinations of genre games that don't really exist that much anymore. Cause it was another RPG type game, but it was also this, a big war strategy element game and, uh, told through multiple perspectives and it had all of these interesting elements to it. Uh, each game, there are like 102 or 101 playable characters that are just spread throughout this giant world. And you can find all of them or most of them, or just some of them. And there's just a, a whole lot of freedom to it that again, may not seem as unique in a modern day where we have MMOs and open world games that kind of give you a similar experience, but it was a. Uh, I think there'd be a way to do it in a modern setting that that would still be unique. And again, it's one of those people who know know those games were really really fun, and, and a lot of people just have no idea what I'm talking about right now. It's <laughs> fine. Uh, last couple of games that I wanted to talk about were more recent ones that actually have had this done. And, and actually, where was the comment earlier from Steven saying Mass Effect Andromeda, even though it's newer, could maybe already use. Uh, a glowy fix-up. 
How do you, is, is it beyond being fixed? Is that the vibe I'm getting back here? I'm not drunk enough to get into Andromeda. Uh, too early in the day for yeah. Mass Effect Andromeda conversation. There were a lot of problems with that game. Just a lot of them. It really, like... <laughs> it should just get scrapped. I mean, yeah. just move on from it. Like, they have. Like, I think they're taking the right approach. It happened. If they ever want to revisit it someday, maybe. They set up some interesting things for it, but... I don't know. I'm... So another game that had a lot of people feeling exactly that way, and and Stephen makes an interesting point that there were a lot of problems with Justice League too. I mean, I I certainly would not have thought that they would get the quality flick they did out of that, having seen the the original. So, um, here's another one in that category: the current Avengers game that just had a brutal launch and got hammered in reviews and, and doesn't have the player base it would like for an online game, but they're still trying to go. They just announced this last week, a new expansion for actually a couple of Hawkeye, which didn't get people especially excited, but Black Panther before too long. It's coming to the PS5, done all these upgrades or whatever, but they're like hanging on by a thread for this Avengers game. So it's sort of trying to give itself a Snyder Cut style glow up in real time. <laughs> so, I mean, you remember we talked about this game when we talked about games as a service. Yeah. And I played I played the Avengers game on release, man. It's a lot of fun. There are problems with it. Um, for the most part, all of the missions, you kind of don't feel like you're doing anything meaningful. They're fun because the action is fun, because the combat is fun, because playing your character is fun and playing with your friends is fun. And the way that your characters can interact and you can do some of the same stuff, but the the maps are all just sort of like generic. They're not really worth exploring. It's like you've come you when you come across one puzzle and then you do it you learn that it's the only puzzle they made and they just put it in various places and the, the different <laughs> maps and that you really spend a lot of time doing the same shit over and over and over and over. Yeah. And for some franchises like Diablo, that's totally fine. Uh, but for this one, it just didn't feel good. It didn't, yeah. you it just, you didn't enjoy it. It didn't feel good. Um, the combat was great though, and I have been wanting, you know, Kate Bishop released what two months ago, yeah, and now they have, you know, they have Boy Hawkeye coming out too, yeah. Um, cool, I'll be interested to see what because the play styles in that game are so different, you know, playing Black Widow and playing uh Iron Man and playing Thor were very, very different experiences. And I, I mained Captain America, and oh my gosh. Yeah. Finally, I got to play as, like, Cap. Yeah. It felt great. It felt yeah. great. And I played through all of the uh, Ultimate Alliance games and the X-Men Legends games and all of that, and it yeah. finally felt really good to be Captain America for once. But just the they just need to find stuff to do, they, and, and they need to find ways to make it meaningful. Um, yeah. They have a whole content schedule mapped out for the next year. Um, I'll be excited for all of that, but I think the biggest thing that they need, they need, they, they have two, two major problems is that they need more characters to play um, because it doesn't take too long to level a character up and to kind of max out their skills and for you to be yeah. like, okay, I get it. Do I do anything else on this character other than just get new gear? Uh, and then they need harder content. They need a true end game at some point. They need something, you know, they need a raid or a dungeon or some, you know, they need something bigger for its end yeah. game content. So yeah. there's a lot of work to be done, but the bones of a great game are there. So it'll be interesting to see if they can survive over the next year. 
I'll be interested to see because they've made a really, really good game in a lot of ways. They just have to finish it. Yeah, that that feels like almost the perfect analogy to the movie that we're, we're, we're comparing everything to today because it's just like, yeah, like, so I'm obviously a huge comic book fan, right? And even though I'm a little bit more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy, I've never seen it as a competition. I love them all. I'm whatever. So I'm a huge Marvel fan. And Square Enix is my favorite video game company by far, right? I should be the exact target audience for this thing. And the fact that I haven't played it at all yet because just the reviews were so bad and the glitchy stuff that I was seeing and I want to, but I, I, I want to get into it. I would very much like for this to be a good game. So like you all be paying close attention over the next year or so, because it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, there's a strong player base and this is going well and they fixed all the glitches and there's lots of characters to play and all that stuff. Then I can maybe justify once this next baseball season ends, dropping 60 bucks on a game and, uh, you know, paying for that experience though. Cause yeah, sounds great in theory. Yeah. I, it's also a game that it's big time. If you, uh, if you have people to play with. Yeah. Cause if you're playing it by yourself and it's meant to be played with other people. Yeah. You're not meant to... There's a campaign for you to play through it solo. And the campaign is designed really, really well. It's a lot of fun. Um, because it it allows you to really flesh out and get to understand how to play with each individual character. But if you're going to play through the multiplayer stuff, man, you got to have people to play with. Otherwise, yeah. it just sucks. You're just in queue playing with randoms that you can't talk to. And it's just... Ugh. Well, maybe if it gets popular enough, we can set up a DNVR squad in the Discord chat for the for the gaming, and we can we can all go out and be Avengers together. Because again, how it who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. That's such a fundamentally good premise. Get with your buddies at DNVR, hop online. You yep. got the Hulk, I got Cap, you got Iron Man. I yep. you're gonna be Black Widow. Let's do the thing. Like that's just I want to do that. I want to do that with all you yeah. out there. So. Hulk actually feels really fun in that game too, because yeah. he's just like this big like he picks people up, and he throws them, and he smashes them into stuff, and he spends the whole time stomping and roaring, and it's just like yeah, yeah. I mean, No Man's Sky is kind of where you hope it goes, right? That's that's you know, the game, right? Yeah, it, the game is a service. You want it? It they their view, their vision for it is that it evolves into something special down the road. Right. They just need people to stick with it in the meantime. Um, or what they do uh, is, you know, their players bail on it, and then they very quietly just keep making it behind the scenes, and then one day they have a relaunch of it, and it's like, boom. And They could do what Final Fantasy know, 14 did and literally just blow up their world and then start it again. Just have Thanos arrive and snap the original Avengers game out of existence and reboot your world, launch it again, but fixed. There you go. Right? Give an in-game reason for it. So uh, the last one we wanted to talk about, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to give us an example to, to maybe be followed here, was XCOM. So XCOM, yeah. Uh, anybody that's familiar with my gaming preferences knows I'm a huge XCOM guy. But XCOM was a game, you know, from the early 90s that just was, like, was it was popular, and then it just, disappear. Fire Axis brought it back a couple of years ago and the first one was really popular. They doubled down, they made a great sequel. And then they made arguably some of the best DLC that's ever been made in the second game. It's exactly what I think DLC should be. It's perfect. It's excellent. It makes the game better makes the game more replayable. It adds a bunch of meaningful stuff. It kicks ass. It's all good. And then they made uh, Chimera Squad, like this little like side game for 10 bucks that they released a week after announcing it was even in existence and let you play as a bunch of enemy races, which a lot of us think that it was a test run for XCOM 3. And... That's a perfect example of they took an old idea, they made it new, they made it modern, 
And now there's a bunch of there's a bunch of these tactical RPGs coming out these days uh, because XCOM was as successful as it was. Now they're cool to make now. Yes, <laughs> right. So it's it, right. Like it just it went from <laughs> not cool to cool. Is that I guess that's the <laughs> the basically what we're trying to do here, right? Is talk about. Yep. So yeah, to, to wrap up and and slightly address the the one of these comments here in chat, you know, I I think one of the things, one of the reasons I love the Snyder Cut beyond what the movie was, the fact that it exists, that the Snyder Cut exists, is that it, I I hope it helps to break us a little bit out of this notion that movies or TV or or, or video games, whatever it is, have to be presented a certain way. Um, that it has to be one exact thing, right? There, there were a couple of weird things. Like he presented it in 4-3 format, for example, people talking about the length of it. But when you watch the movie, you very easily see, okay, yeah, I get why the studio took a bunch of stuff out of this because it's long. But then you start realizing they were just taking stuff out with no care for what it meant for the characters and the development and the psychology and the ethos and the themes. They just wanted it to be shorter. And I would a thousand times over rather have a four hour fantastic movie than a two hour movie that takes up less of my time, but sucks ass. And there's a lot of bit like the video game industry needs to learn this lesson hard. The whole cyberpunk thing, which we've talked about this Avengers launch to begin with all of this stuff. It's like the idea that you've got to get it out on time has to be exactly this way or that way. The studio people coming in, it's like, let the artists make their thing the way they need to make it. Let them finish it and then release it to the public. Uh, and, and so I, I think, you know, it's this, any, any idea that we've got to put stuff into these little boxes and that'll make it a nice, neat package for the public. I think one of the things that Snyder Cut and some of these other things are teaching us is that, you know, the public will decide based on whether or not it's, Good. <laughs> Just put out that way. So I'm good with that. I'd I'd like to see all this stuff done. I I, I think it's a it, it'll be a nice age if we can put a little more power into the hands of the artists. So this has been fun. Let us know if we missed anything that y'all feel like really needs a, a blow up these days. That, that it needs to be you know re-edited or, or redone or just made whole again <laughs> the games the games of the past the games of the future uh, it's all fun out there we're having fun make sure you're following us on twitter dnvr underscore gaming you're subscribing to the dnvr gaming podcast follow us on youtube all that good stuff liking subscribing sharing tweeting showing playing games and hanging out with us in the discord channel if you are members of the dnvr family we really do Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out with us today. For AJ Hayfley, I've been Drew Priestley, and we will see you next time.